to the MEC English Service Podcast. For more resources or information about our church, Mideast Evangelical Church, visit mec.church. So this week's scripture comes from Genesis 25, and it is verses 19 to 34. And it says, This is the account of the family line of Abraham's son Isaac. Abraham became the father of Isaac, and Isaac was 40 years old when he married Rebekah, daughter of Bethuel the Aramean of Padan Aram, the sister of Laban the Aramean. Isaac prayed on the Lord on behalf of his wife because she was childless. The Lord answered his prayer, and his wife Rebekah became pregnant. The babies jostled each other within her, and she said, Why is this happening to me? So she went to inquire of the Lord. The Lord said to her, Two nations are in your womb, and the two peoples from within you will be separated. One will be stronger than the other, and the older will serve the younger. When the time came for her to give birth, there were twin boys in her womb. The first to come out was red, and his whole body was like a hairy garment. They named him Esau. After this, his brother came out, and his hand grasping Esau's heel. and So he was named Jacob. Isaac was 60 years old when Rebekah gave birth to them. The boys grew up, and Esau became a skillful hunter, a man of the open country, while Jacob was content to stay at home among the tents. Isaac, who had a taste for wild game, loved Esau, but Rebekah loved Jacob. Once, when Jacob was cooking some stew, Esau came in from the open country, famished. He said to Jacob, Quick, let me have some of the red stew. I'm famished. Jacob replied, First, sell me your birthright. Look, I am about to die, Esau said. What good is the birthright to me? But Jacob said, Swear to me first. So he swore an oath to him, selling his birthright to Jacob. Then Jacob gave Esau some bread and some lentil stew. He ate and drank and then got up and left. So Esau despised his birthright. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So we are, we've made our way through First Peter. Yeah. Praise the Lord. Amen. Um, And here we are. We're going to do a series. We're going to be going through over the next couple of months. We're going to be looking into uh, the life of Jacob. Um, And it starts in utero, um, inside of his mommy. Um, And what I want you guys to first think about is, like, from the womb. um, Now, it could be, like, they were just, like, active babies or she drank a lot of caffeine or who knows what. Um, (laughs) But from the womb, these two babies were fighting. Um, and you might feel like, even if you can't remember your baby times, um, if you have siblings, you might think, okay, this sounds really familiar. Yeah, like fighting with siblings, like that's a thing, and it's been since forever. So I want you to like talk with the person next to you really quick, um, and why, ask, why do you think sibling rivalry is like such a, it's probably, it's not universal. There's like, I've seen siblings, like one out of every like 300 that don't like have some sort of rivalry. But why do you think sibling rivalry or sibling competition or sibling fights are such like a experience that occurs in basically every family? Why is that the case? Ready? Talk to the people next to you. Go. All right, guys, what you got? Why, why siblings be fighting, be rivaling? What's the deal with that? Yeah. Okay, ready? Shh. So over here we got siblings. Um, siblings fight because there's competition. 
for attention. Attention from whom? <laughs> Parents, mommy. Um, what else? Why else do you? Yes. Dominance. Good. So sometimes dominance, like I own you. I am over you. And why, by the way, why is dominance um, enticing? Power. It feels good. Like you get to, like, it empowers you to feel like you could do what you want. Yeah, what else? Why else is sibling rivalry a thing? Hmm? Toys. Yeah, so it's not just competition for attention from mommy and daddy, but it's competition for, like, the resources in the households. Like, so when you're, when you're younger, it's for that toy. When you're older, it's for, like, uh, with the TV, it's for the remote um, or for... Like, who gets the new iPhone? Or for the car? Like, no, I said that I was going out Friday night. Like, right? It's a different kind of competition. But it's competition for resources, competition for mommy and daddy, um, a feeling of dominance. Any other things that cause sibling rivalry? Yeah. Yeah. Totally. So you're in class, and you want to get a better grade than the person next to you. But you're not going to, like, turn to them and be like, I'm going to get a better grade than you. Right? Because that's mean. Um, But with your siblings, you'll be like, hey, I'm going to totally wreck you right now. Right? (laughs) Because you don't filter. It's just, it's there. You're honest. Right? It's family. You can't, like, they can't, I guess they could totally disown you. But, like, I'm not sure that it would have power if it's just, like, your brother being like, I disown you. Um, So, yeah, the filters come off. And so then the rivalry that kind of exists between us and other people is unfiltered. It's there. It's out in front of everyone. And so those of you, like, I think those of you who went to, like, Sunday school when you were growing up, the story of Jacob and Esau is, like, classic, right? Um, But I think that um, a a second look at this story is really, would really benefit us. And even before we get into that, I think it's not just that there's sibling rivalry. I'm going to get existential on you for a second. Um, It's not just that we uh, re-wrestle with others since our birth, but, like, sometimes a part of it is even the fact that we wrestle with our birth in the first place. Um, Like, none of us got to choose to be born. We just were. We were, like, brought into existence. And, like, if you have the right mindset, um, you can totally feel great about it and be like, you know what, I totally didn't ask for this. This life, this breath, this existence is a gift. But if you're in a darker place, then it can go another way. Like, I didn't ask to be brought here. I didn't ask to live this life. I didn't ask to be part of this family with that sibling, with these parents in this town. Like, it's just thrust on you, right? It just happens to you. And I think that, um, like, when it comes to, uh, like, stories, like, that, that occur in the book of Genesis, there's a lot of this happening. There's a lot of, like, there's, there's very human natural elements, like sibling rivalry and parents and favorites and arguments and people breaking up and going to different places. Like, there's lots of the day-to-day normal stuff. But then there's also these other epic themes like destiny and fate and this plan that's going to unfurl throughout the course of history. There's a very immediate factor to these stories in Genesis, but then there's also this, like, epic existential what do we do with the life that's been given to us. And the truth is that, like, yeah, you didn't ask to be in the family that you're in. It's true. But then the way that we live our lives affects the way that we experience that family we were put into. Um, I think... 
especially when you're younger, like you're in school, you feel like you don't have any power because you're like, I have to go to school because if I don't go to school, the government gets mad. Um, right? That's what happens. Um, but then eventually you grow up and you go beyond that and you discover that like there are still things that are out of your control. There's still only so much that you can really control in your life. And, and I think that one of the keys... Um, to finding contentment, to finding meaning, is like accepting the things that you cannot change and then doing what you can with the things that you can change. And I think what we get in the story of Jacob and Esau, like, is from birth, we see them not accepting what they've been given and fighting against it, like, tooth and nail, right? From the get-go, from childhood, they were fighting against what they had been given, Instead of thinking, how do I make the best of this situation? I've got a twin that I can play with for my whole life, even though they're different. Great, division of labor. I don't know, they could have like seen it a little bit more positively, but instead it was this, oh my gosh, let's just compete with each other because we're different and I didn't ask for you to be my brother, and so let's just be mad at each other, right? Um, I think those of you who do have siblings, like you would be lying to yourself, right, if you didn't admit that sometimes that's how you feel. Like, I didn't ask for this. But even if you didn't ask for it, you can only do so much to control, to, uh, um, to change that situation. And so with Jacob and Esau, um, I think part of that sibling differences, um, the di- sibling differences is in every household there exists spotlights and shadows. Um, so with like the mommy-daddy issue, like there are some kids because of certain behaviors get put in the spotlight for those behaviors. Right? Like maybe there's the academic kid and they're amazing in academics. And then if the family values academics more than anything else, then it's like, oh my gosh, the academic one. Um, or if it's the family that really values like the cherishing, loving, relational element, there's like the kid that's all huggy and cuddly. And you can tell that the parents really love that kid a lot because they're the huggy, cuddly one. Um, or maybe it's like the parents are like efficiency people and they're like, I like people who can get things done. And so the kid who like takes out the trash without being asked and does his homework in five minutes and like does all of those things, that's the kid that gets put in the spotlight. And like, are any of those things bad? No, they're good things, right? But whenever there's a spotlight, think about like any Broadway production. Whenever there's a spotlight, what does that do to the rest of the room? It's dark. Yeah, are there still people in the room? Yeah, but you can't really see them because you can see where the spotlight is. And in these family relationships, these sibling relationships, what happens is, um, and it could even be that it's just like you guys share different spotlights because each of you are different right, in the family. But because you're different, sometimes one person gets the spotlight at one point and the other person doesn't. And then, like, you feel like you're living in the shadows, Right? I'm the one that wasn't acknowledged. And even if you're an only child, I, I still think this happens because, like, at least growing up, um, there, there would still be times where, like, a teacher likes someone more than they like you or, like, that guy or that girl likes someone more than they like you. So these, like, these rivalries, these competitions still exist in our lives. And when someone gets the spotlight, I think the natural human inclination is, be, is to be bitter at the spotlight instead of, be, instead of, like, celebrating the cool thing that is in the spotlight. You know what I mean? And those of us who are in the spotlight for one reason or another, it's really easy for us to be like, this is awesome, and then totally forget about the others who are in the dark. Like when you're getting the love and the admiration, it's easy to forget to be like, oh yeah, my little brother helped me with this. 
Oh yeah, my um, my older sister. She was the one mentoring me to like be able to do this. So in our homes, it's really easy for these shadows and spotlights to become like the 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 obsession, right? The why do they get this and I don't? And then we forget about the things that we get that they don't. And so I think we see this in, in Jacob and Esau's relationship. And I think that like, when we read through the book of Genesis, most of it is not an example of how to live. Like Most of the book of Genesis is how not to do things right. Um, if you like, read it carefully, there's some really messed up stuff that family members do to other family members, um, including what re- we read in this story. Um, and what happens when there's spotlights is sometimes it forces people to take sides. How many of you have seen Captain America Civil War? Yeah? Cool. What happens to the Avengers um, when people start taking sides? They split, right? It causes division. And at some points, that division makes them throw punches at each other. Now, like most of you probably come from civil homes where you don't throw punches, um, but there's other ways to throw punches, right? Like there's underhanded ways to get back at each other. There's ways to like frame your sibling to get in trouble for something that they may or may not have done. Um, there's ways to like rat people out. Um, well, I think, I mean, if they're, if they're doing messed up things, like, yes, tell on them. But, um, but like sometimes it's just to get people in trouble. Or sometimes it's like a parent like doing something sneakily um, to get at one kid and not at the other. And when we draw these lines and we divide, then, then what we can do is this thing that's supposed to be the family unit, that's supposed to be a reflection of God's family in the world of love and acceptance, um, ends up becoming a battleground. Right? Like the Avengers are meant to be this like beacon of like protecting and taking care of the earth, um, and they become a battleground instead of doing that good thing. And here in, the, in Genesis 25, we have Isaac, who had a taste for wild game, loved Esau, but Rebekah loved Jacob. In some of the other parts of the, um, the text, we see that um, Jacob likes to hang around the tent. Um, like he, liked, he, was a, he was a homebody. Like he liked to do things around home. Apparently, he was really good at cooking stuff, um, which like historically, stereotypically, that would have been in, in the woman's realm, even though men can cook and women can hunt. Um, but nevertheless, like in this ancient patriarchal society, Isaac likes meat from wild animals and Esau kills wild animals. So Isaac likes Esau. Good. Jacob likes to hang around the tent, gets real good at cooking. And that's what mom does. So mom likes Jacob. Good. So the lines are drawn and then battle starts. And if you read through the next couple chapters of the book of Genesis, you discover that, yes, this is a battleground. Like, their home is a battleground. And there's, like, these, like, Esau eventually gets married to some ladies, and that turns into a battleground. It's a pretty ugly situation. But it's not only with family and friends, like, where people pick favorites, pick sides. But think about, the, like, the state of the United States of America right now. Um, because of the polarization... Because of the picking of sides, depending on like whose name you drop in a conversation or what news station you listen to or what party you vote for, like as soon as that gets brought up in conversation, like no longer are you coworkers. No longer are you people sitting at a dinner table, but automatically now you're enemies. Right? It's us versus them. Even the idea of like a country is like, hey, we're all on the same on the same page here. Like we're all 
like in the same place trying to make things happen. But then it like automatically turns into you're the bad guy. I'm the good guy. You're trying to ruin America and we're trying to make America. Yeah. Um, <laughs> or whatever it is that like causes that line to be drawn. Um, and then and then think about it. Even like. Even religion, um, the, over this last weekend, we did like a apologetics training to like learn how to talk to people who are atheists, learn how to talk to people who are Muslims, learn to talk to people who are Jehovah's Witnesses and Mormons, like working on these skills. But even in that conversation, it's easy for it to turn from, I'm a human and I care about you also, a human. Um, and like, there's this God who loves you and I want you to know about this God. That can so quickly turn into, oh, you're from that religion? You're the bad guy. Oh, you believe something different? You're a bad person. Right? And then it turns into this us versus them. It's Christians versus atheists or, or Jews versus Muslims or um, Baha'i. Baha'i probably not versus anyone because they're pacifists. But you know what I mean. Um, but, like, it can easily turn into us versus them on the religious grounds as well. And when this happens, um, like, the thing is, like we use different tools to make this happen. So in this in this um, exchange, we have Jacob, um, who has this like whole soup situation. Apparently, he's bomb at making soup, like a red lentil soup. I think it is. Um, he makes this delicious soup. Um, it's I don't know who's good at cooking things. Bobby Flay is he good at cooking stuff? Gordon Ramsay, but he's kind of mean. Um, okay, we're gonna go with Bobby Flay. Um, and so Bobby Flay makes this red lentil soup. Um, and then we have Macho Barbarian Man who's like, I'm hungry, give me some soup. Um, but then our, our Jacob like, has this idea, and he's like, well, he's not thinking right now because he's hungry, so I'm going to manipulate and use this situation for my own advantage. Right? And so maybe you're not a red lentil soup expert, um, but maybe there are times where like, you have n- negotiated with people in your family and been like, okay, I'll help you, but... Right? Oh, yeah. Yeah, I got your back right now, but you remember. And then we can use that. Because like, realistically, what should, what should Jacob have, have done if this is like a loving relationship between him and his brother? Oh, you're hungry, bro? Here's some soup. That should have been it. But instead, Jacob's like, oh, you're hungry. I'm going to use this. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to use this opportunity to manipulate the situation to get exactly what I want out of it. You know what I'm saying? And then on the other side, we have Esau, who's like, I don't know what he was thinking. He was probably like, he's not going to follow through on this. Like, he never follows through on anything. Classic Jacob, so I'm just going to say yes. Right? Or um, he's totally in the moment and not, like, really thinking. Which, to an extent, there's part of me that wonders, like, if, if this is a patriarchal society and Isaac loves Esau... Like, he's been in the spotlight so long, maybe he doesn't even realize that Jacob dislikes him. Because daddy loves him, and he's fine. You know what I mean? And so he's probably just like, okay, cool. Yeah, give me the soup. Whatever. It'll be fine. I'm used to things being fine um, because I'm Esau, the favorite. So he takes the soup, sells his birthright. Those of you who remember Sunday school, how do things turn out? <laughs> things <laughs> um who wins yeah 
if you read like if you follow Esau's the rest of Esau's story, he definitely doesn't win. If you follow the rest of Jacob's story, he definitely doesn't win. Um, about a chapter later, um, Jacob discovers that his brother is going to try to kill him, so he has to leave his home and go to another place um, to try to settle down. When he goes to that other place to try to settle down, um, someone else plays the same game on him and uses the opportunity to manipulate him into working for free for 14 years. Like, that's kind of a bad deal, guys. Like, that's not that great. Jacob didn't really win a whole lot by, by stealing this birthright. Esau also has a bunch of, like, these family issues. Um, he, has, he marries these two ladies who end up causing a, b- a bunch of problems in his household. And, like, we'll get to, like, what happens in the end, but at the end of the story, there's never true reconciliation between the two. Like, they never fully fix things. There's, like, kind of like a, sorry, bud. Yeah, me too. And, like, but then after that, it's not like they start having Christmas together or whatever. Like, things stay broken. So in this exchange, neither of those guys win. Um, And what's kind of epic about the stories in Genesis is that, like, you can trace the lineages between these individuals and then, like, national identities. And for those of you who, like, have read through some of the Old Testament passages, um, Esau, do you guys know which country he becomes? Yeah, um, Edom, Edom, I'm not sure how to pronounce it right. Um, But Edom um, in Israel, what is their relationship like in the, like, I don't know, last thousand years BC. Yet they're enemies. Every once in a while, there will be a treaty, and then they'll go to war again. And then there'll be a treaty, and then God will have to, like, judge one of them because of mistreating the other. So, like, by the end of this, individually, neither of them win. By the end of this, nationally, epically, universally, neither of them win from this exchange. So instead of manipulating instead of hogging the spotlight and not considering the other like there's a different way to deal with this um and in the book of ephesians um we've we've probably memorized this um in sunday school before but our struggle is not against flesh and blood but against the rulers against authorities against powers of this dark world, against spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. And then he goes into the arm, put on the full armor of God, get ready for battle. And like we've talked about this before, people are not the enemy. Who's the enemy? Yeah, Satan, sin, evil powers, like forces of darkness in the world. These are the, these are the messed up things. Like the very manipulation and opportunistic mentality, that's the enemy. The favoritism. The, cho- the choosing sides, the, the enmity, that's the enemy. Jacob's not the enemy. Esau's not the enemy. But the sin that allows them to do jacked up stuff, that's the enemy. But what I think is cool about this text is, like, in context, right before this is the Apostle Paul giving the household code. Right before this is Paul being like, here's how you treat fathers and sons, husbands and wives, slaves and masters. And then he's like, remember, Your battle's not against flesh and blood. And then immediately afterwards, his first encouragement is, be sure to pray for all of God's people. So think about it. Like, right in the middle of talking about family and praying for God's people, he puts in this thing about remember who the enemy is. It's not God's people. It's not the people in your house. It's not brother or sister. It's not your classmate. Right? They are not the enemy. It's not the person in the other political party. It's not the person from that other religion. It's not that person who disagrees with you about 
the Dodgers. I don't know. Um, but it's 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 evil itself is the enemy, not people. If we're going to try to win against something, it's not against people. It's about darkness. Um, it's about Satan. So what we need is we need to redefine what it means to win. I mean, those of you who are on the Team Awesome retreat um, last weekend, this is something that we like. We literally spent the whole time talking about. Um, but winning is not is not beating other people. Winning is having peace. And when we say peace, it's not just like a, oh, cool, we're not fighting. But winning is having like a whole restored relationship with everyone around you. With yourself, with others, with God, with the rest of creation. That's what winning looks like. And so when you have an opportunity, like when you're making delicious lentil stew and someone's hungry, winning doesn't mean using it to manipulate the other person. But winning means there's a person in need. Let's increase the peace between us by sharing. Right? Or winning doesn't mean um, when, like, things happen in your life, like, you, you can blame God and be like, God, I'm super mad at you. You're now the enemy. But rather, winning is saying, let's use this thing so that we can increase the peace between us and I can grow and we can become closer, God. Right? Winning needs to get redefined from, like, power over. Like, think about the things that you said are the reasons for sibling rivalry. It's about having power over. It's about comp- competing for attention. But what if... What if that's not winning after all? There's plenty of people who get lots of attention. Um, they live in Hollywood. Um, and these people who get lots of attention, like, are they any happier? Do you think they're any more fulfilled? Do you think they have, like, more peace? So winning, like, one, it needs to be re- redefined because of our connection with God. But, like, winning, like, is for, like redefining is for our own good. If we redefine winning as having shalom, wholehearted, flourishing peace with other people, then, man, that actually changes our lives for the good. That actually changes other people's lives for the good. That actually changes the world for the good. What if instead of it being like Democrats need to beat Republicans or vice versa um, and became like we need to beat the problems in society, like we need to, to fight poverty, we need to deal with crime. We need to deal with like people who like feel like they have no hope. What if that instead became the enemy instead of the other political party or that other news channel or fill in the blank? So what I want you guys to do um, is we're going to close up here, and I'm going to give you guys a chance to, to think. Um, maybe as we've been talking, you've thought, this is my rival. Like, I know who that rival is. Like, as we've been, like, as you're, like, maybe you're resonating with Jacob and you're like, I know who the favorite is that I resent. I want you to put that person into your mind right now. Or maybe you, like, recognize that you've been the Esau. You're like, I have had it really easy and everyone's always paying attention to me. And it's great. And I'm the favorite. I want you to consider the people in the shadows that might think you're the enemy. Right? That might consider you to be the rival. And I want to give you a little bit of time right now to pray for that person. Um, literally, like Jesus talks about prayer quite a bit in the New Testament, but literally the only person that Jesus says to pray for, he says, pray for blank. The only person he tells you to pray for is your enemies. Um, and so we're going to do that. So whether you uh, consider them an enemy or they consider you an enemy, 
Like that's, that's the person we need to pray for. So I'll give you a little bit of time in silence right now um, to pray for that rival, for that enemy, for that competitor, for that person that you're trying to win over. Um, and then we'll close up. So go ahead and pray. <laughs> 